to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Indeed, the Lord is near. Today is Gaudete Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent. The word Gaudete means rejoice in Latin, and that is precisely what the church bids us do today, as it does each year on the third Sunday of Advent, to rejoice. This Sunday we see the rarest of liturgical colors worn by the priest and deacon, rose. We see this liturgical color used only two days out of the entire year, today on Gaudete Sunday and on Laetare Sunday during the season of Lent. That's all, just those two days. Thus, as has been emphasized since the beginning of the Advent season, today's celebration serves to remind us that Advent is a penitential season, analogous to the season of Lent. If we are following along, then, this would seem a bit strange, wouldn't it? After all, out of the entire year, the only two days the church sets aside to specifically call us to rejoice come amidst seasons that are penitential in nature. What gives? The answer to this question can be found in the person of St. John the Baptist, whom we meet once again today. Before continuing, however, it is worth asking ourselves why it is that we are spending so much time with John the Baptist during this season of Advent. After all, as the shortest of all the liturgical seasons in the life of the church, spanning only four weeks, the church has decided to dedicate half of the four Sundays of Advent to John. And, as we saw last Sunday, the Baptist was a strange and shocking figure. He lived in the wilderness, was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he fed on locusts and wild honey. Why, then, spend half of the season of Advent with him? for a couple of very important reasons. First, as discussed last weekend, the Baptist is a bridge figure between Testaments and the forerunner of the Messiah. Thus, within the stream of salvation history, John plays a pivotal and irreplaceable role. John at once serves as an end to the tradition of the Old Testament prophets while simultaneously ushering in and announcing the new covenant with God through the incarnate Son, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. This makes John archetypal in terms of a life lived in preparation for the advent of the Lord. It is the Baptist who spends his life preaching repentance, but, as we will see today, it is likewise John who shows us the meaning of true Christian joy. And these two not apart from or at odds with one another, it is important to add. In fact, we would not go far wrong in saying that in St. John the Baptist, we find the exemplar par excellence, of Christian joy among the fallen. To see just how the Baptist is an extraordinary exemplar of Christian joy, we might start at the very beginning of his life, even before his birth. As all the prophets, 
John the Baptist was chosen and called by God to play an important role in salvation history. However, only one individual in the whole of Scripture begins their ministry in the womb, a role reserved solely for St. John the Baptist by the grace of divine providence. I refer here to the episode of the Visitation recounted by St. Luke in chapter 1, verses 39 to 45 of his Gospel. There, we read that when Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. We could spend a very long time unpacking these verses, but I want to focus on what John the Baptist does here. Luke tells us that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb. Thus begins the prophetic life of St. John the Baptist. Now let me be clear. I am not saying that John in utero freely and rationally prophesied, though nothing is impossible for God. And thus, such a grace could have been granted to John on some level by the Creator. However, regardless of level of consciousness, what we see here is a miracle, as St. Augustine of Hippo notes in his letter to Dardanus, a Catholic layman from Italy. Augustine writes, Even if the use of reason and will was developed so early in that infant that within the womb of his mother he could recognize, believe, and assent, acts that other infants have to await a later age to perform, This too must be counted as a miracle of God's power and not taken as an example for human nature. The question becomes then, what is the significance of this prophetic miracle? There are a couple of interrelated possibilities. First, such a detail suggests that John has already recognized the Savior and is pointing to him within Mary's womb from Elizabeth's womb by leaping. In Sermon 239, St. Augustine tells his listeners that John greeted the Lord in the womb because he was greeting the one from whom he longed to receive salvation. Likewise, in Sermon 289, Augustine says that though not yet born, by leaping in the womb, John was already heralding the Lord who would be born. Then, noting the greatness of John, Augustine quickly adds, What could surpass such sanctity as that? Here we find the first cause of John's greatness, his sanctity. John is great because John is holy. Said differently, John is great precisely because he is filled and animated by the life of God. But, Augustine's rhetorical question has a twofold implication which also connects with the second possible significance of John's leaping in Elizabeth's womb. First, as St. Paul teaches, John's prophetic action signifies the active presence of the Holy Spirit within him. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit, and goes on to add several gifts, including that of prophecy. Second, the fact that John receives the interior action of the Holy Spirit while still in utero highlights the fact that John's holiness, and therefore his greatness, is grace. As an infant in utero, there is absolutely nothing John could have done to earn his sanctity, to cultivate the ability to prophesy. Both thus are from first to last gifts in John, and all who exhibit such traits in their lives, even at a later age. 
Mention of John's sanctity brings us to the second interrelated possible significance of his leaping in Elizabeth's womb. There have been many in the great tradition who, because of John's leaping, which Luke relates to the interior action of the Holy Spirit within Elizabeth, have taught that the Baptist was sanctified and thus cleansed in the womb from original sin, and thus born already freed from it by the grace of Christ. Origen and father of the church, St. Ambrose of Milan, can be counted among such thinkers. For its part, the church has not pronounced any sort of definitive teaching on the question and has left it open to debate. What we can be sure of is the cause of John's leaping in the womb of Elizabeth, joy. And we can be absolutely certain of this because just a couple of verses after relating John's leaping, Luke recounts Elizabeth's telling Mary, At the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Adding that Elizabeth so speaks because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. From the first moments of his existence to his last, John the Baptist was a man of joy, and more specifically, a man of authentic Christian joy. It is here that it becomes clear why it is that John is such an important exemplar for Christians, and why it is that the church encourages us to focus on him for half of the season of Advent. Joy is yet another indication of the interior action of the Holy Spirit, and importantly, of free human cooperation with the grace of the Holy Spirit. For joy, St. Paul tells us in chapter 5 of his letter to the Galatians, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Consequently, John's leaping in his mother's womb teaches us who the only true and proper object of joy is, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John rejoices at the presence of his Savior and ours, and this joy was present with him throughout his life. We see this in our Gospel reading for today. In chapter 1, verse 19 of John's Gospel, we are told that priests and Levites were sent to John the Baptist to ask him, Who are you? The implication of the question is clear. The Jewish people, the people of God, want to know if John the Baptist is the Messiah. Knowing this, John responds simply, I am not the Messiah. Rather, the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, Make straight the way of the Lord. The object of John's joy was Christ, the Messiah, the incarnate Son of God, and his work of preparing the way for him by preaching a baptism of repentance and pointing him out to the people as the Lamb of God and their Savior was a product of this same joy. The Baptist makes this clear a couple of chapters later in John's Gospel, where he teaches us one of the most important lessons we will ever learn. People are taking note of the fact that some are beginning to go to Jesus rather than to John the Baptist to be baptized, and so they ask him, basically, what gives? What should we do? Go to him or come to you to be baptized? To which the Baptist responds, No one can receive anything except what has been given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said that I am not the Messiah, but that I was sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The best man, who stands and listens to him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. This has been John's mission from the very beginning. To proclaim the glory of Christ, the incarnate Son of God, 
to make him the center of everyone's attention so that they might be saved by him, something which John knew he could not give them. This is the core of John's call to repentance. In the first instance, by calling us to repent, John is not berating us and telling us how horrible we are. Rather, John calls us to repent to turn our attention to the only true source of lasting joy, Jesus Christ. And because John made this the sole focus of his life, he was a man filled with joy. Jesus was not an obstacle for him, as it would become for the powers that be. Jesus was everything the Baptist desired both for himself and for his people, and thus seeing Jesus, hearing his voice, and knowing him to be near, gives John unspeakable joy as an adult, just as it did when he was yet unborn. At this point, it is important to ask ourselves, how joyful would we be if someone came and took our spotlight? How joyful would we be if whatever attention we gained was taken from us? If we know deep down that we would be angered or annoyed rather than joyful, even if the cause of losing attention is good for others, there is something wrong and it must be corrected. And the correction comes from the virtue exemplified by John the Baptist in our gospel for today, the virtue of humility. Humility is central to John's joy. For humility enables John to realize and live by the truth that life is not about him, no matter how much the crowds that gathered around him would seem to suggest. Humility enabled John to live the truth that he was not God and thus ought not be the center of anyone's attention, especially his own. Humility enabled John to see that no matter how much attention he gained or how popular he became, he too was in desperate need of a Savior. Thus, in the last verse of today's Gospel, John tells the people, There is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. John says this astoundingly at the height of his popularity. When most of us would be thinking we were the king of the world, John says, I am nothing compared to him. In fact, without him, I am nothing Period. What humility! St. Augustine says that John's greatness lies precisely in his humility. In Sermon 288, Augustine teaches, It's here that John's greatness is supremely brought to our notice, that when he could be thought to be the Christ, he preferred to bear witness to the Christ, to bring him to our notice, to humble himself rather than to be taken for him and taken in by himself. John preferred to witness to Christ than to draw attention to himself. This is what all the saints do. While the rest of us are trying desperately and pathetically to find any means possible of pointing to ourselves, the saints work tirelessly to point away from themselves and toward God. And in this, they find true joy, regardless of what they face in life, up to and including the prospect of martyrdom, as the Baptists did. For Christ, the object of his joy, remained faithful to the Baptist, just as John had to Jesus. And thus Jesus' presence remained with the Baptist to the end, even sending words of encouragement to John through his disciples that he was indeed the one who John knew him to be. And because it was the message of the bridegroom, we can be sure that this last missive of Jesus to John brought the Baptist unspeakable joy and empowered him to face one last trial. 
We know because in the very same passage, Jesus refers to John the prophet as Makarios, blessed, happy. My friends, on this Gaudete Sunday, the church calls us to rejoice. And given that she has now placed John the Baptist before us two Sundays in a row, it seems clear that the church likewise desires us to imitate him. But how do we imitate John, the one who lived in the wilderness, surviving on locusts and wild honey? The answer to our question lies in the Baptist's prophetic identity. All of the baptized share John's vocation as prophet. For by virtue of their baptism, each and every single Christian shares in Christ's threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. Thus, this Sunday, we are called to live out our prophetic vocation joyfully in imitation of St. John the Baptist. How do we do this? First off, by living lives which make clear to the world that we are not God. This is a message that the world desperately needs to hear today. The Baptist shows us that the key here is the virtue of humility. For though the greatest born among women, when he had the chance to take center stage, as we discussed, John says, No, I don't belong there. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God and Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, does. Second, we live prophetic lives by declaring in word and especially in deed our desperate need of a Savior. How do we do this? precisely by living in accordance with the penitential nature of the season of Advent. While the rest of the world parties and is in a panic shopping for presents, stay focused on preparing space for the Lord within you. Make extra time for prayer. Go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation and enter deeply into the prayer life of the Church for the remainder of Advent. One way to do this is to devote extra time to meditating on the great O Antiphons of Advent, all of which proclaim our need for a Savior. Our lives become prophetic by making such preparation. Another way to prepare for the coming of the Savior, and thereby live prophetically, is to pray with the sacramental of the season, the Advent wreath. Although not often thought of in a deep way, sacramentals are a rich treasure in the life of the Church. For, as the Church teaches in paragraph 1670 of the Catechism, if used with the intention of the Church, Sacramentals prepare us to receive the grace of the sacraments and help us to grow to be more like Christ. Each and every single time we pray intentionally with the Advent wreath, therefore, we prepare space for Christ within us to be filled in our reception of the Eucharist during this Advent season. Finally, the presence of Christ growing within us ought to have the same effect as it did on John. It ought to make us joyful. Look around the world today. Does it seem a joyful place to you? In a world darkened by violence, division, and stressors of all types, joy stands out as different and thus takes on a uniquely prophetic dimension. Thus, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Indeed, the Lord is near. Rejoice today because the Lord is near and let your joy be your prophetic message proclaiming that there is but one true cause of joy, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, whose birth and return we await in joyful hope. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. 
For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.